Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Bartles, a cropping systems educator with Nebraska Extension. And today I'll be joined by Katia Keller Cole, and we'll be talking about termination of cover crops. Thank you for joining me today, Katia. How are you today? I'm doing good. How about you? Doing well. So can you tell us a little about a little bit about your role in Extension? Sure. So I am a research assistant professor in the uh, agronomy and horticulture department in Lincoln. And my research focuses on cover crops and investigating soil health and other benefits that you get from cover crops. So I really want my research to be useful for farmers. And even though I don't have an official extension appointment, I really like to help with uh, presentations and extension workshops and things like that. So you'll see me quite, quite a bit. And I like those uh, personal interactions with growers because they ask a lot of useful questions that sometimes inform my research. So, for example, the whole question of, you know, what can a cover crop do to a germinating corn crop? You know, how should I or when should I terminate my cover crop? You know, that was a question that I've often been asked. And so I kind of started investigating this as a project. And that's what I'll be talking about today. Great. Yes. For those that have attended uh, field days, you're usually a regular at those. So they might have actually seen you in person. So it's always really good to hear about your research. And like you said, making sure everything is fitting together and the producers give us feedback, helping us in, in those research endeavors. So I appreciate your time today. When we start looking at termination of cover crops, what are some considerations producers should take into account? Since we're heading into planting season, and I can't believe we're already in March, and it'll be here before we know it. So what do you recommend, or what are some considerations we should get? Yeah, so we typically, you know, everybody has different goals for their color crops, but soil health and preventing erosion and things like that are usually the priorities. So what we have learned, you know, we get more benefits when we maximize biomass, or in other words, maximize cover crop growth. And most of our producers have some combination of, of no-till with cover crops. Most of them will, will use an herbicide to terminate their cover crops. And so what happens, you know, we terminate the cover crop, the mulch, the, the residue stays on the top of the soils, slowly decomposes. Some of that uh, residue, you know, it, it's going to be broken down in, in carbon and nitrogen and a bunch of other compounds, but some of that carbon was going to be lost to the atmosphere. Some of that uh, hopefully will go into the soil and contribute to our organic matter. But what we are more and more, we're learning that really root biomass is probably the main driver of soil organic matter increases that we see with cover crops. So we do want to have a lot of root biomass. And the easiest thing to get a lot of root biomass is by maximizing above ground growth. So that's why, you know, that's why we, we want to have a lot of growth. That's the, gets us the maximum amount of carbon basically into the system. Um, and we know, we know the benefits of carbon. It's more soil organic matter. It's going to help with better aggregation, which means soils are more stable and resistant to erosion. Uh, we have greater water infiltration, more cycling and retention of nutrients. So it's all good things. Now, of course, it's a learning curve, like with many things. So if you're first starting with a cover crop, 
I would say, terminate the cover crop when it is about six to eight inches tall. And, you know, you have to look at your field, but a lot of times that happens to be maybe around the middle to the end of April. So I would look at that. And uh, if you want more growth, you know, that'll, you'll probably, in, in most instances, instances in Nebraska, it's going to have to go into early May, sometimes even mid-May. Now this year we have a very warm and wet spring, at least the March so far was warm. So maybe it's going to be one of those rare warm Nebraska springs. So we may get to that higher amount of biomass a little bit sooner. It all depends on your goals. And then it also depends a little bit on your personal preferences and experiences. Mm-hmm. Great. Not one, one size fits all. The more I learn about cover crops and soil health, and it's really about taking the time and tailoring it to your operation and finding out what works best for you. But there are a lot of benefits, as as you said, we're finding out from using cover crops and having that living root. So when we look at the time, you touched on it a little bit on the best time to terminate a cover crop. Would you stick with that time frame if we're looking at going into corn versus soybeans, or was it still really looking at that growth and terminating at that time? So a lot of times growers, especially the first years when they're using a cover crop, the first couple of years, they notice a, a small yield lag when you're planting corn after a cover crop. Uh, it's not always significant and is usually, I'm going to say, within a couple of percentage points lower than what you normally have. And, you know, in some years you don't notice anything. So, but we do know soybean don't really usually have that response. So they are much more tolerant of a previous cover crop. So I would say if you're planting to soybean, definitely get the maximum amount of cover crop biomass and then no-till, no-till plant into the residue. So you can let that grow a little bit later. It kind of depends, right, when that cover crop is, it has the amount of biomass. But definitely with soybean, you can typically allow it to grow a little bit longer. With corn, and again, if you are just starting out with cover crop, I would, I would recommend for now um, stay at six to eight inches. Um, what you always want to do is kill the cover crop before it heads out, right? We don't want to have seeds. And then with corn, it's important that you uh, adjust your fertilizer management. We recommend a starter of about 50 pounds per acre of nitrogen when using cover crops. I think that's what I what I would suggest right now for the for the timing of your cover crops. Um, we can talk a little bit more about some other considerations. So if you want to get the most benefit, I guess, that you can out of your cover crops for soil health, in your research, have you looked at different cover crop species? And I know producers are always looking, they try something this year and then they're looking towards next year. Has your research looked at any of the different multi-species versus more of the cereal rye? Most of my research, we have compared cereal rye to mixes and also to pure planted legumes or brassicas. And we are in corn soybean rotation. So we, we plant, and it's a standard rotation. So we typically, we either plant by broadcasting into the corn or soybean stands in mid-September, or we plant after corn or soybean harvest. And for both of these situations, zero rye is definitely the most productive cover crop. And our mixes had cereal rye and some winter hardy legumes such as hairy vex in it. The mixes also were relatively productive, but they're much more expensive. 
and the, the legumes really didn't contribute much biomass at all. So in terms of that, I think, you know, you're, for this kind of rotation, it's best to just stick with zero rye. There's other small grains that might, may work similarly well to zero rye, although zero rye is usually, because it's so winter hardy, it starts growing earlier than, you know, other small grains. It's usually the most productive cover crop, but you can certainly experiment with winter wheat or, or triticale. Those are, those are pretty good choices as well. And then in terms of biomass production and what you can get out of it, what we also know about cereal rye that is a pretty good wheat suppressor. There are two things that work into that. One of them is the high amount of biomass. If wheat suppression is one of your goals, you really want to get as much biomass as you can. Um, studies suggest at least 3,000 to 4,000 pounds per acre are needed, which would translate to about 16 to 24 inches of above ground growth in a rye. But if you get that much biomass, that will give you some real noticeable benefits for wheat control. It'll delay wheat seed germination. It'll reduce the number of wheat seeds that germinate. And the few seeds that germinate will typically produce less biomass. So um, rye is great for that. Rye is great for wheat suppression. I know we talked a little bit about, you said there's some allelopathic that takes place. Yeah. And so this is, this is another question that was one of the main questions that I get from growers. How does the cover crop affect or does the cover crop affect the emergence of my corn or soybean? So we have not done actual studies that tested this, but I did a large literature review with several of my colleagues and the things that we found in there probably uh, suggest that allelopathic effects are not very likely, but I should probably start with the beginning. So allelopathy really is the production of basically toxic substances by a plant that inhibit the growth or germination of another plant. And plants produce and secrete these substances to basically defend themselves. It's a defense mechanism. And many crops, if not all crops, produce some sort of allelopathic chemicals. And so cereal rye is known to have allelopathic chemicals. They are called benzoxazinones or BX compounds. And they've been shown in a lot of studies with weeds, they've been shown to significantly reduce wheat seed germination. So that's when people get kind of concerned and say, hey, well, what about, you know, my corn or my soybeans? Well, from these studies, we also know that these allelopathic chemicals are um, are not very long-term. They don't have a long-term effect. Uh, they decompose quickly in the soil. They degrade usually within two weeks. After two weeks, you cannot measure them or you cannot find them in the soil anymore, usually. So it's a short-term effect. They're released by the roots and also other plant organs. But once the cover crop dies, then they're also released by the degrading or by the decomposing residue. So, but about after, after about two weeks, there should not be an effect anymore. Um, the other thing that we know about these compounds is that what they do by definition is inhibit the germination of seeds. So they're not going to be, usually they're not going to be harmful to a crop that already has germinated. And then the other thing, and that's an important thing to remember too, is they typically affect small seeded species 
much more than larger seeded species such as corn or soybeans or other main crops. So small seeded species, like for example, pigweed seeds, they are much more impacted by these, by these substances. That makes sense if you think about it, you know, these small seeds have fewer resources, they're not nearly as resilient as a larger seed. We looked at the literature and tried to see whether there were any studies that actually really looked at whether, whether the release of those substances by cover crops affects the emerging corn, soybean, wheat. We looked at, a, at several different row crops. We did not find any studies that measured that in a field setting. We did actually, we found one study that measured it with cotton. Again, it's, it's difficult to measure. So a lot of people, I, I think it's kind of a, a turnoff for a lot of people because of the amount of, of work and costs involved. But there were a few studies in the laboratory that were done with extracts from cereal rye and other cover crops. And then they looked at whether these watery extracts would in fact inhibit the germination of corn, soybean, wheat. In some instances they did, in some instances they didn't. So it wasn't exactly a real good cause effect relationship. But what we also know from some other studies is there are certain factors that possibly could contribute to allelopathic effects. And that is cool and moist conditions and um, soils that have low organic matter and low clay contents. Because the allelopathic chemicals like other you know, chemicals like herbicides or whatever, you know, they, they bind to organic matter and clay particles. So if you have a, a very sandy soil, so soils lower in, in clay content, you, know, you, you may possibly see some effects. So, what to do to avoid that, you know, again, if you're concerned about that, try to avoid the germination of your corn crop to overlap with the release of those chemicals. So for a long time, what we, what we um, suggested or what was, what was generally recommended was to kill the cover crop two to three weeks before the planting of your corn or soybeans. That is still an option. Um, but um, many people also like to plant green for various benefits, such as you get more cover crop biomass, you get more ground cover. So if you plant green, it may be useful to plant your soybeans or corn into the green cover crop and then wait until your corn or soybean have emerged, have germinated, and then kill it. So that way you're kind of avoiding that overlap of the release of all these chemicals from the cover crop residue. But again, you know, I think in, in most instances, we don't really have to worry about it too much because corn and soybean are larger seeds. They're not so susceptible to allelopathy and because those compounds break down quickly in the soil, so. You read my mind. I was actually just thinking about asking you about planting green. We're starting to hear more about that. Are there some benefits of planting green versus terminating then planting? I think the main benefit is you can let your cover crop grow longer. So you kind of maximize biomass production, at least on your farm and your framework. So that's one of the benefits. And with greater biomass, you get more weed suppression, you get more organic matter input, you get better soil aggregation. Lots of things are, are related to biomass. Yeah, I, th I think that's, you know, what most people are looking for. 
but we are just starting to do this. So I, I can't tell you at this point whether it's better to plant green or whether it's not such a good idea. I do think it's kind of a, a decision that people have to make. What fits in your management on your farm is kind of going to dictate whether you want to plant green or not. Now, especially the drier areas of Nebraska, you know, you, you want to be a little bit careful. Well, the other thing I should mention for planting green, you have to follow your NRCS guidelines. Probably also look at your crop insurance. But in the drier areas of Nebraska, you know, when you plant green, it is probably a good idea to irrigate right away, which is probably what most people do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Great. So another thing that we want to think about planting green Are there diseases or pests that we have to worry about if we still have that cover crop in the fields and we go in and plant our our crop, whether it be soybeans or corn? Yeah, there's certainly increased risk for some pathogens, and it kind of depends on the cover crop that you're planting. There could be, and especially again in years, you know, where you have more moisture that are probably years with cooler temperatures, the cover crop could become sort of a green bridge, you know, that allows the pathogens to travel from the cover crop or from a previous crop onto the, onto the next crop. So that's something to keep in mind and, and check beforehand. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Do you have any programs or articles coming out soon that are related to this topic that you'd like our listeners to know about? We wrote a crop watch article last year. It came out, I think, I believe it was March or April of last year. So if you just, I think you just Google planting green and crop watch, you will find it or Google my name, crop watch, and you'll find it. Recently, for those of you that are, that are kind of interested in this, um, we also, we did a survey last year and we recently, just within the last few weeks, released a survey that asked our farmers and farm managers on their experiences with planting green. So that survey, we we have some results and we had a little crop watch article just a couple of weeks ago, I believe. So, and that's just called planting green survey. Easy to find. Great. Well, thank you for joining me today. And I hope everyone has a great planting season.